Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello listeners, I'm joined by Sam and Adam for this week's episode. We've got a few listener questions from Twitter that will be dotted throughout the episode and we'll discuss the game against Liverpool, the weekend's win against Luton Town and we'll look forward to taking on a very informed Bournemouth side and then next weekend's trip to Nottingham. So enjoy! Brownie, good to have you back with us mate, are you well? Yeah, good thanks mate, good to be back. And it's after a win as well. I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that two yeah. now? What, two what, after a win? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I'm not a lucky charm, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, thanks for coming back on again, mate. Much appreciated. Oh, pleasure always. Listeners, I hate to disappoint you, but obviously there's no Jimmy this week. So, um, yeah, we just couldn't make the stars align, unfortunately. Um, I've got stuff going on and so does he with two young children. And yeah, before we get into it, as I say at the start of every episode, you can support us here at From The Finney. Uh, Just head over to supporter.acast.com forward slash From The Finney. And anything received is massively appreciated. Just helps keep us running and keep us ticking over. Um, if you listen on Apple device, specifically on Apple Podcasts, if you could leave us a review in the Apple Podcast app as well, that'd be great. Um, boys, we'll start with the Liverpool game. I think if we're being honest, it was just a bit of a gimme, really, wasn't it? Nice yeah. game to have in terms of you know welcoming a massive global club like Liverpool to to Deepdale. With their distinctly average fan base, <laughs> um, please don't give me any shit if there's any Liverpool fans <laughs> listening. I cannot be arsed with that. Um, but yeah, I think Barky's chance—the first chance—unfortunate, or could he have done better? What What do you think? It's hard, isn't it? It's not his weaker foot as his running. It's not like a straightforward chance. I mean, every Preston fan watching will probably. Been the same boat with me when we said the chance that fell to Potts and then the scramble following Maguire's shot were the big chances. I think that Barky chance just gave us a bit of impetus and a bit of confidence to try and run at the Liverpool team who you know, really weren't giving us anything that first 15-20 minutes, as you'd expect, really. Yeah, I thought Barky, um, I thought Barky did all right. It was good to have him come on to Saturday anyway, but it was good to have him back in the team um, if we can get him in there. Um but yeah, it was the Maguire chance, wasn't it, really? The Potts one, I think he kind of, he panicked, didn't he? He thought Gomez was going to catch him, panicked and had a shot. He had, he had two, the didn't he, Potts, the, big, the, the, the rebound or whatever it was after the Maguire one fell to him yeah. and lashed it over the bar. I think that's probably quite a difficult yeah. one, if you look at it, trying to hit it first time on the volley. Um, it's weird quite like high up, isn't it? It's hard to go over it. Though. Say again, Sam. So it's quite a difficult one, like you're saying it. It's come out quite high. He's not like got time to take it down. It's quite hard to get over it as well. So. Yeah, exactly. He's quite rash, isn't he, Potts? When he's got when he needs a bit of composure, he's <laughs> not really the man you want. Um, they often go over the bar. It's a few screamers once in a while, but yeah. 
well, not I mean, for us. <laughs> what what's the uh, what's the saying? If you throw enough shit at the wall, some of it'll stick. Yeah, that's it. Not so. Just to clarify, I'm actually a fan of Potts. I, I do quite like him, but I know he's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, yeah, that Maguire chance. I'd be surprised if he got any sleep that Wednesday night. He's been yeah. fantastic this season, but I think that's the one criticism people have of him is potentially, you know, his composure in front of the goal because, you know, as good as he's been and although he doesn't get in that many goal scoring chances, when he does, he tends not to sort of have that conviction that like Camille's shown this season, which I'm sure will come on to. But yeah, I think that was a big one that would have kept him up at night and all have us sort of that was the one that it had to go in really for Trevor sort yeah. of scalp one of the big boys, I think. I think that 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 Wednesday was probably the best chance we'll have to knock a club <laughs> Like Liverpool out of a competition, even though it was basically like their what their C team, it, he's still knocking Liverpool Football Club out of a cup. But alas, we didn't. That's it was why we disappointed. Our B team as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that was disappointed with the lineup. Um, I thought it was a good opportunity for us to to go ahead and, like you said, Jake, get into a quarter final of a cup competition. Me and Sam were just touching on it before that you know when Neil was in charge and he used to put the reserves out we're kind of near the top of the table and when that's the case you can kind of let people off but after the Blackpool defeat where we are on the table after the whole you know the whole atmosphere around the club at the moment I thought it was a good opportunity for us to go for it having said that I thought we kind of got the tactics right and um, if you keep missing chances it's kind of inevitable that a top team like Liverpool are going to score eventually so I think that was probably just a little bit unlucky on the night really I think the way that Origi scored, it just shows like what you're up against. You know, you can be perfectly in a game, but when they've got the quality to just whip out like a sort of scorpion kick kind of finish, right? Nothing really just shows like the quality you're playing against. You can't give him a sniff. So, like, you've got to take the chances when they come along. You saw it happen with Brighton yesterday when they played him. You've yeah, just got to take your chances. That was the story of the night, wasn't it? Just taking your chances. And obviously we didn't, but yeah, I think as we as we mentioned at the start of this segment, it was a bit of a gimme really. I don't think anyone was particularly that bothered, especially after last Saturday and the dismal showing off and on the pitch that we were served up last week. Obviously, that was helped a little bit with yesterday's, well, Saturday, as people will be listening to this, uh, Saturday's result against Luton. But I think it's probably one of the most boring starts to a football game I can remember. It was like sleep-inducing almost. It was just... It was just garbage. I mean, Luton weren't great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like I'm not absolutely hammering us here, but just two poor teams for the first twenty twenty five minutes, and then it's an absolute worldie from Emil Reese that I don't think anyone saw coming at that point. I thought, oh, he's going to leather this across the box and look for like a low driven ball across the box and someone to tap it in. And what do you know? It's in the back of the net. It's a sign of a striker on full confidence to even take that shot on. Though you know, you look at the. Uh... I think we've mentioned it on previous podcasts and you said it when you interviewed him, I think it was at Mansfield, that he is a confidence player and, you know, he's on double figures now for this season. He's likely to be flying and he's, you know, he's been a real revelation of this season and probably one of the few sort of positive points we can make throughout the whole of uh, the 21-22 season so far. Yeah, I think the thing with Emil that always stands out to me, and I've said this in the past, is the power that he gets in his shots from like little to no backlift is like is unbelievable. And he's definitely meant it as well. I've seen a few people, Barky said afterwards that he didn't think he meant it. And then Nathan Jones said he didn't think he meant it. He definitely did. He just rifled it, didn't he? 
Yeah. No one like, hammers him across with that much power. He's got other than shoot. Didn't he come out afterwards and say, like, I just thought I'd whack it and see what happened? Yeah. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Which, like, I don't know how to take that. Is that a striker in confidence or is that, like, a striker that's just thinking, why not? I think it's a striker in confidence, though, because think if you're on, you know, if you're playing poorly and you think the fans are on your back, you're not going to give them, you're not going to want to give them anything with a chance to sort of get on your back that particular afternoon. So I think it's a sign of a striker full of confidence. You know, it's paid dividends in the end. I actually thought Reese was the only player in the first few minutes who actually looked properly up for it. Now, there's one where he leaves one on the on the defender at the back, which is very unlike him. And I thought he's on it today, Reese. He definitely thought it looked as though he was a striker putting himself about. Yeah, another player that I thought was like bang up for it yesterday was Alan Brown. And even early on, I think you could tell. And obviously, as the game went on, looked more and more like the Alan Brown of old. I know, obviously, the game. Uh, was it the Blackpool game? When I think, yeah, it was. People were saying that he he looked like he was sort of... Coventry yeah. game, he, Coventry game, he was good, wasn't he, as well? Cov, that was it. Yeah, yeah that was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he sort of has a point to prove of it, doesn't he, as well? Because we all obviously know his qualities. He's been a countless amount of years now, but, you know, bringing in Ali McCann, bringing in Ben Whiteman in January, the former Daniel Johnson, Ryan Ledson, when he's had the chance. And obviously, having the captain's armband, armband there's that added pressure, really. But I think he's stepped up, really, and after potentially a slow start to the season, I think he's really kicked on, and like we say, showing the Alan Brown of old now. And I think he'd have relished having the opportunity to play the number 10 role as well because Daniel Johnson's been fantastic this season. No one could take that off him. And when he's on form, you know, DJ is probably one of the best number 10s in the division on his day. But I think Alan yesterday certainly did no harm to claiming that spot on a more permanent basis. Now it's up to Johnson to, you know, sort of prove himself to get back into the team. Now it's healthy squad competition at the end of the day. Yeah, I think just on DJ, I think it was probably a good move from Frankie to, to give him a rest yesterday. He's played a lot of minutes this season, if you include the uh, the Jamaica trips that he's made. Um, and, you know, we've got a massive game midweek coming up, and you'd imagine he'd be involved in that. Whether or not him being not only on the bench yesterday was as a result of his knock against Blackpool, don't know. Um, cause did he come on against Liverpool? At the end, he did, yeah. Yeah, he came on for like 10 minutes, didn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, back back to Emil. Everything he's touching at the minute just turns to gold, it seems. Like, it's unbelievable. I know, obviously, Brownie gave him the penalty to take for for his second goal, but, you know, if if he's not a player in form, Brownie doesn't give him that, I don't think. No, not at all. Been on fire on him. He was so desperate to get that hat trick one in the second yeah. half. <laughs> there was times where he just wasn't passing that ball at all. That's what I love to see that though. Like a yeah. big greediness from a striker, especially when they're they're in in like full of confidence, in form like Emil is at the minute. Why not? You know, what you've I mean? got to have that selfishness, you know, to be a sort of a top striker and to bang in the twenty twenty five goals a season. Yeah, exactly. And look how well he did for us, especially in you know the promotion um, season. What do you make of the new contract for him? Obviously, I think, Adam, I think it was one that you were on a few weeks ago. Sam, I don't know if you were on it or not. but I was, I remember, yeah, we mentioned it. Yeah. Remember, we mentioned it on the podcast that, you know, we criticising the club for for not seemingly not being proactive in the past by getting key assets tied down to longer, improved deals. And, you know, it seems like they've done that this time with Emil. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying we're taking credit for him getting his new contract, but... <laughs> 
you know, if anyone wants to think that, then by all means. Um, <laughs> but it's just good to see the club being proactive. You know, you look at Brentford's one that always comes to comes to mind. I don't know if it was Jada Silver or Ethan Pinnock. You know, they had like three or four years left on his deal a couple of years ago and signed an, a new extended contract with like two years on top of it. And, you know, you look at... You look at that; it's a bit of proactivity from them, and, and they're tying down one of their key assets for the not just the immediate future, but the long term future as well. And you know, we've we've done that. We've got a meal at the club now for another four years, and if he continues on the upward upward trajectory that he's been on this season, then God knows where he's going to end up. Yeah, it's a fantastic business, isn't it? Uh, sorry, I don't know, it's a fantastic business. You mentioned sort of the overriding. Saga last season and potentially creeping into this one has been the amount of players running out of contracts. I mean, obviously, we had the big five as such, really, of Fisher, Brown, Pearson, Johnson, and Davis last season. There's a bit of sort of murmurings now about like the likes of Sinclair, Brown, not Brown, sorry, Sinclair, Barkhausen, Patrick Bowers. So it's nice that the club's been proactive. And you know, correct me, I might not be allowed to say this, I'm not sure, but obviously, I'd be surprised if Emil hasn't taken a pay rise in this new contract, which is obviously reward for him and well-deserved for what he's been doing so far this season. So it's sort of happy days for everyone all around, really. And it's nice to see the club being proactive and I hope it's the start of more renewals like this, really, where we're not leaving it to the last minute. I think what it does as well, though, it it says to other players, you know, new players that we've signed, like Ben Whiteman, Ali McCann, if you perform, you're going to be rewarded. You know, it's not just... it, It shouldn't be a case of you've got a player tied down to three, four years and that's it and then you only look to renew it in the last 12, 18 months, or in our case, the last month or three months. You know, it should be good performances, good form, warrants extended deals. And yeah, you know, it's great great to see that they've done that this time with, with Emil. And, you know, obviously he's made up. What a way to sign it off and, and get a brace as well. Something we used to do, like when we first got into the league and then we had, you know, Pearson, Brown, um those type of players renewing the contracts. I think we just got to a position where it was kind of, well, stick or twist really with the, the last year and COVID hit. And it was just a bit of a weird one, wasn't it really, about whether we keep them to try and get promoted or not. Um, but yeah, it's a no-brainer to get to get re-signed on. Um, what is it, 11 goals already this season? Yeah, all 11 in all comps, isn't it? So. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's once you've got an asset like that, you've got to time down or else it'd be... Completely stupid if we ended up getting rid of him for next to nothing. Something that's impressed me with him as well is he he just seems so durable. You know, he's played a lot of minutes this season and just keeps going. Like he's, he, he looks like he's not really picked up any not or struggled with any knocks, picked up any injuries, just keeps bouncing back. And I mean, he's un, he has made himself undroppable, so... You know, there is that, you know, the manager can't really drop him for anything, really. I know he didn't start the cup game against Liverpool, but I think that's probably it's understandable, isn't it, really? Um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, when was the last time we had a striker like that? Scoring goals and playing week in, week out. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I was literally thinking then, when was the last time he's on 11 goals by... October, you know, just sort of completed three months of the season. I think one of the questions I read before that we'll come on to was, how many do you think he'll get? And I was just going to say, at championship level, what was, when was the last time we had a striker on, you know, 10 plus goal contributions by end of October? I can't think. Yeah. It must be going back a fair few years now. So Seventh seventh most minutes for Emil for 
at North End this season. There's only DJ, Josh Earl, Andrew Hughes, Jordan Story, Sepp and Iverson above him. Yeah, he's got, you've got to be going back to Nugent, really, haven't you, when you think about it? Because even when we got to the playoffs, those strikers that we had, Meller, Brown, you know, they didn't contribute with you know, not 20 goals a season or anything like that. I think there, was, so, there was like two or three of them that were on like sort of like eight to yeah. fifteen, that kind of number. Yeah, so if you're looking, you know, you're looking at someone who's already got eleven, you know, he's 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 gonna be he's gotta to be touching twenty, hasn't he, by the end of the season. Oh easily. Yeah. Talk talk about touching twenty. Have you seen how many goals Bloody Mitrovic has scored? Well, I mean he is he is eighteen goals in yeah. like fourteen games, I think, or fifteen games. He's a complete freak at this level, isn't he? It's just unbelievable. It's a true code, isn't it? Yeah. Speaking back to that, though, just a quick point you might want to mention that. You mentioned last time we got in the playoffs at this level, it was like so Chris Brown, John Parkin, Neil Mello, was it Stephen Elliott as well? They were sharing the goals between them, and now we're quite reliant on Reese. It's obviously good that we've got a striker certainly on course to you know, break a lot of records since the likes of David Nugent and John Macken at this level, but is it potentially... A bit worrying that we tend to be relying on one player to score a lot or most of the goals for us this season. It would be nice, I think, to see a few more spread out and whether that's down to the system and the other players aren't potentially getting into the goal-scoring areas. But it would be nice to see someone else maybe step up and, you know, share the plate of goals, really, and take a lot less pressure off, a lot more pressure off a meal. It seems to be the general narrative at the minute is depending on if Reece scores, whether we get results or not. Yeah, but I suppose... Once you've got a play like that, you feed him, don't you? If he gets injured, you try and work out a different way of playing. At the minute, it seems, to be, it seems to be working for us in terms of Maguire dropping off in those pockets, turning around and feeding through balls to Reese. You'd hate for him to get injured, but I suppose we just have to adapt with the, the way that we play because he's, you know, we've not really got anyone like him, have we? Well, in, in the league this season, Ben Whiteman's our second highest scorer with three. I think two of them have come from outside the box, have they? Or all three of them? Um, DJ's got two Pat Bauer's got two Josh Earl has got one and Sepp's got one so you know near enough our goals are split near enough 50-50 with Emil Reese with 50% of them and what five other players with the other 50% yeah. I know it's not quite 50-50 but can't be asked working the actual maths out because I'm not very good at it um, <laughs> you know so it is a bit of a worry I know obviously we've touched on he, he doesn't seem to be an injury prone player he keeps bouncing back game after game but you know it is a concern if he does pick up a knock where are the calls coming from it's gonna hope he doesn't at this rate haven't we because mm. the last thing we want is you know going into a because yeah we've won yesterday and that's great and hopefully it'll sort of kick start a run with us but we are down at the wrong end of the table and the last thing we need is our you know talisman or our sort of saviour really in so many games to pick up an injury and then we're sort of scratching our heads wondering what we're going to do yeah yeah, it would be a massive problem. Back to the Luton game then. I know, obviously, I think everyone knows now just how good a player Ali McCann is, but he was unbelievable again yesterday. Yeah, he's he's unreal, isn't he? There was a period, there was a part where he lost the ball and then his recovery tackle, it was like so far away, but he managed to recover. He's, he, he looked he, like he's, uh, Stretch Armstrong, didn't he? Yeah, he's unbelievable. <laughs> It is exactly what we've needed. Like I know he's, he's a different player to Pearson, but we've needed someone who can who can cover and protect the back I three. I don't really. think he's got the passing range of Pearson, or at least no. that, if he does, I've not seen it. Um, but when you've got Ben Whiteman in the team, I think that's more his job, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but 
you know what what he does have similar to Pearson is that ability to break up play. And I don't think it is just screening the back three and just protecting them. You know, he, the job he's all over the place. Well, the job yeah. he does in, in around the entire pitch. You know, he can get forward, he can drive us forward, sort of like ten, fifteen yards with the ball. And you know, if he loses it, nine times out of ten, you'd back him from the little that we've seen of him to to make his recovery tackles and and win the ball back or at least break up play. I think there was a foul that he gave it late on in the first half. I think when they were in the. Uh, no, it was in the second half. They were in like deep in their half. He lost the ball and he just pulled the fella's shirt, just oh, pulled yeah. him down, gave the free kick away. But you know they were nowhere near near the halfway line. Just gives us a minute just to get well, a few seconds to get back in shape, reset, and just go again. And and it's stuff like that that we've not really sort of we've not had since we've lost Pearson. It's like the dark arts of such, isn't it? That's the sort of way you describe it. And like it's the energy he brings as well. I mean, we're talking about his things he's done, sort of protecting the back four in terms of breaking up their counter attacks. But you know, he's the one who's run up to nearly off the byline to win us the penalty. That energy and tenacity he brings is really what we lacked. And I think a lot of people so, sort of outside of the clubs at various sort of podcasts thought that potentially it was strange we were signing a centre midfielder because we had a lot on our books and saying we needed a striker, but Ali McCann's was proven you know, also like we were saying that we needed a midfielder right, you know, he's been absolutely fantastic, showed what we've been missing and it's the type of deals that we've needed to be doing the likes of him and Emil, isn't it, in terms of the recruitment. We've been, you know, talking for so long about the sort of poor recruitment we've had and justifiably as well because a lot of it has been pretty shoddy but, you know, in terms of the types of deals for McCann and Reese and Ben Whiteman as well, you know, we're certainly doing something right in that regard so, you know, yeah. long may Ollie, continue. Ollie at Deep Dark Digest tweeted, didn't he? Um, I think yesterday or today. Saying that those those signings, that one sort of signing a window of like seven figure sum, those three players in particular already seem like the you know it's paying off. It's a strategy that's working, and you know if you can if you can supplement it with the odd bit of quality, you know your likes of and I know we've not seen him play yet, but your likes of Sunday on a free, bring him in. You know, got potential. Everyone knows what he's potentially capable of doing. Um, he just needs to get fit and actually do it but if you can supplement those one sort of star signings if you will you know fans of other club if there's any listening to this might think what star signing it like just over a million quid but for us it is you know we're not the kind of club that are going to go out and spend three four five million pounds on a player but if you can spend up to like two million quid on a player and, and bring them in just steadily over a period of time you're gonna you're gonna eventually build the core of a half decent squad there, um, but I think as well it comes down to getting players like Alan Brown, Daniel Johnson. I'm gonna throw Barky in there, perhaps a controversial one to some people, but not to me. Um, you know, if you can supplement them with that kind of player as well, players that have been at the club for three, four, five years, they know what we're about, they know how we play, they know what the fans are about, which. Isn't a lot at the minute, but as in the atmosphere at Deepdale, that is, I'm not slagging any fans off. I just think the atmosphere at Deepdale's pants. Yeah, it's with our strategy and our budget and, and whatnot, I think it's the the one way really that we can go about building a half decent squad. There are other ways, but we don't seem to want to do that. Well, they're also. They're also proper assets as well. So it's not just about building a team. You've then got someone you need to sell rather than signing, you know, Joe Rafferty 
for example, um, or you know even Stockley, those type of players, they are a level above, which means that we've actually got some players who we can, you know, we can sell if we need to. Yeah, back to back to the Luton game, and and you know maybe touch on the Liverpool game a little bit again in this segment. But separate right centre back, thought thought he was very impressive. Certainly stated down a claim to do it longer, and I think we mentioned on the pod with Jimmy last week that for a few games he'd start to look maybe not out of his depth, but with maybe not seen the best of him for a few weeks playing at right wing back, which is understandable. You know, he's nineteen, his first full season really playing, you know, consecutive senior football. I'm not sure how many he played it as well. I think it was twenty odds, so he's probably gonna double that this season to be fair. And I think, you know, it was a big game for him in terms of Liverpool coming to town, obviously, trying to impress his you know, senior club's manager is a parent club's manager, and then obviously coming in yesterday and doing a job. I think, he's, yeah, he's, I think that's his position in it. I felt a bit harsh for Jordan Story, who I think has really grown into that right centre back position certainly since he's been in the team. But Sepp came in and he's really set to claim for it now, and I'd be surprised if he's we don't see him play there for the majority of the rest of the season. To be honest, I think that would be my back three if uh, if I had to choose it. And Barky, I'd play wing back anyway if we need to just because he gets us further up the pitch and like yesterday you know in that first half you know Barky was pretty much playing like he's playing a lot further forward than, than Sepp would but if he was playing in there because all it does when you've got Sepp playing or like Cunningham for example the other night oh, it just moves you backwards as a team you're not on the front foot um, so yeah that would be I'd move Sepp back there permanently and before all of Sunday comes back I'd probably play Barky in that right wing back position. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe a little bit harsh on story because I think he has largely, barring maybe the odd game, you know, the Reading game's one that sticks out because I did hammer him. But, you know, I think for the most part this season, he's, he's been decent. I think the one thing that Sepp's got on him, he, he's probably a bit more mobile, a bit more quicker across the ground. Sorry, a bit quicker across the ground. That's bad English. Um yeah, so a bit harsh on story perhaps, but you know you got to do what's best for the team, and you know he's he's on loan for the season. If you don't play a player like Set, and then you go back to Liverpool and ask about another player, you know if you're not playing him or you're not playing him in his right position, are they going to look at that and go, well, are you the best destination for this lad who we think's got bags of potential? If you're not going to play him in his right position or you're not going to play him at all, probably not. So yeah, I think. Yeah, I think he was a li- maybe perhaps at fault for Liverpool's second on Wednesday night, but stuff like that, he's, he's going to learn, and he, you know you got to remember he's only nineteen, so far from the finished article, isn't he? That's a, yeah, exactly. Think of it. Exactly. Yeah, last point then from no second to last point. Um, Barky at right wing back. I know Adam, you just touched on him there and said that you would play him at right wing back. I think. You know, people look back to that game against Hull at the start of the season and he didn't have the best game. But like you said before, Adam, you know, he gets us further up the pitch. He is a threat going forward. You know, he's played as a winger all his career. And again, no disrespect to Sepp, but probably better in that position, if we're being honest. It's more transferable going, I think, from right wing to right wing back than it is from centre half to. Uh, right wing back, obviously, when you're at centre half, you're not relying on carrying the ball forward. It's very rare you're going to be sort of trying to put quality balls into the box, which is the thing Barkhausen offers us. Again, no disrespect to Sepp, Barkhausen's much better quality 
in them attacking areas. I think he got the assist yesterday from Meal, which he obviously hasn't had to do much about, but he got an assist on the uh, first game of the season as well. So you're looking at two starts at right wing back, two assists. It just shows really how the quality he's got on the attacking areas is sort of going to hopefully pay dividends in terms of goal contributions. Two starts at them back in that position, two assists, and both of them have been barky to a meal. Yeah, nice little combination. He's got all the attributes to play there. You know, he, he actually looks like a wing back like when he's playing. Um, so yeah, and and the thing is, where would you play him if he's not going to play there? Because I, I don't think he, I, I don't particularly like him. I mean, he can play up front, but you know, you've got Reese there. Sinclair's played up front a few times this season as well. You, you, you preferred partnership's going to be Maguire and Reese, isn't it? So I think it's probably the only real position he's going to get in is wing back, and you know he's, he he does all right there. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, um, you know we're not going to be changing uh, shape anytime soon, or at least it doesn't look like we are. So yeah, I think that's his position to nail down. While all of a sudden he's not available for selection, so you know it's another another chance for Barky and, and a player in the side to, to nail down a position and then you got a, you know a bit more competition when all of a sudden he comes back which is no bad thing um, last point then on, on the looting game before we break really don't like covering referees that much because the vast majority of them that we get are not great um, but yesterday's was just shambolic absolutely shambolic I think when there's a when the whole team, or both teams, get involved in a bit of a scrap, nine times out of ten, it's usually because the refs lost control of the game. And it kind of got to that point where everyone was frustrated and, and that's what caused it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Like It was... I mean, I don't think it was a foul anyway. You know, the, the tackle that he blew, blew for against Alan Brown. But, like you say, you know, it's two sides that are clearly frustrated. And the ref just did did himself no favours whatsoever. So right now the run we've won the game saying so I think when we were pulled down like clean three yesterday and we're looking back to the incident against Swansea earlier in the season where I'm not sure how we've not got a penalty for that. When we're winning the games, you're sort of less bothered, aren't you? But you know, say if we're in a tight game, nil nil, they're just, they're the decisions that you really need to be the referees to be getting right because they can be costly at the end of the day, you know. Like you say, obviously we've won they're both of them games comfortably by two goals, but if they are tight games and they're potentially what's defined in the matches and it can be really hard and that can potentially be where, you know, you're losing points and potentially deserve to pick up. Yeah, I mean I've unless you boys have got anything else you wanna Oh, last one actually. How many goals for a meal this season do you think? Well <laughs> Well I'm good. I'm gonna I'm gonna go over twenty, you know. Over. Obviously, yeah. this is based on you know if he stays fit. Well, yeah, if he plays all the games, yeah, because he can't if he gets injured or suspended or whatever. But if he if he manages to play all season, I reckon he'll get over twenty. I'm going twenty in the league, twenty five in all competitions. I think he'll fall just short of the twenty mark, and he'll finish with about eighteen. It's amazing that we're actually talking about a potential twenty goal season striker, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think I you know the it. fact that we are. It. I mean, obviously, I'm not not predicting the future here, but I don't think we're going to be in a, a promotion hunt. I don't. I'm fairly certain we're not going to be pushing for the playoffs. So, you know, if we do end up with a, a nearly twenty goal a season striker, like you know we've been saying on here for years, it's not. 
the the silver bullet that many hoped or many think it might be because you know you, you, you if you're losing a game three two and your striker's got two goals then great for the striker shit for the team very much yeah so yeah uh, yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna say 18 19 just just short of 20 just well, want to come say back to that. this end of the season yeah so. yeah i just want to say on that i think him and Maguire, they really do have a great partnership together. And I think I think Reese came out and said that they complemented each other really well. And I've seen, I mean, the chance of the night he did miss, but I've seen some pretty unfair criticism of Maguire at times. And I think I think he's playing I think he's playing really well this season. I think he deserves a lot more credit than he gets. Thought I thought he looked a yard or so off the pace yesterday, but I still thought he put a decent shift in. Um I don't think yesterday was the best we've seen him this season. But, you know, you're right, Adam. Uh, Emil did come out and, and say how well they work together. And it's it's like the opposite way around of your typical little and large strike partnership, isn't it? Because you'd be looking at the big lad to be doing what Shawnee does. And you'd be looking at Shawnee to do what... Wait, have I got that the right way around? Yeah, thanks, think so. You know what I mean? You'd be looking yeah, at the, the little lad to be the yeah. one doing what Emil does and getting him behind off the shoulder and you'd be looking at the big lad to be the one holding it up and bringing other people into play but it's it's the opposite way around and you know, it's it's working well. It's Don Maguire as well. I think I said to Adam before, sorry, it's, uh, I remember I was saying to you before that, I think when we had that game, obviously he got injured at the QPR game. I don't think he played the a few after that. I think he was on the bench for the Blackpool, didn't he? So he didn't play that three against Derby, Coventry and... Uh, Blackpool, and I think we really missed Maguire then. It showed, like, I think we were lacking someone to maybe sort of be the link between the midfield and uh, Emil. I think a lot of it ended up going over the top and in behind when potentially we missed someone to sort of carry the ball between the thirds as such. I think now he's back in the team. I'd be very surprised if Emil and Sean Maguire isn't the strike force we go for for the majority of the season, you know, barring any injuries or suspensions, etc. Completely I agree. agree. Um, yeah, I'm in agreement as well. I think he... He brings, you know, it's his work rate and his energy. I think he sets the tempo quite a lot with that as well. Not on his own. I think there are other players, you know, Alan Brown when he's in it is exactly the same. But yeah, I think you know for the for the foreseeable, it's got to be that. I've not really seen much from the Reese Sinclair partnership to make me think that that warrants being the the main partnership. The only other thing is maybe. Maybe Ched comes back in when he's fit. You know, he's he's a bit more, bit more like what Shawnee does when when he gets stuck in. But you know, he's not even fit at the minute. So, yeah, boys, I think unless you've got anything else you want to say, then we can actually end it there for a, a brew break. And uh, I'll see you in part two. See you then, mate. That's everything. Cool, grand. See you shortly.
Welcome back to part two of the From the Finney podcast. We've got a couple of questions to answer. We'll discuss Joe Savage and the Athletic from this week, and then we'll finish off by previewing Bournemouth and Forest. So, yeah. Um, boys, I'll get started this half with a question from Sam Bolton. And he asks, what do you think the hierarchy at the club's genuine expectations are for this season? Is it to get enough points to survive, or will it be to push on? think all three of us are probably going to be unanimous in what we think on this. Um, well, I remember at the start of the season, I think when Peter Risdale did the, uh, I think it was with the with Radio Lancashire, I think, and there was no mention of pushing for promotion at all, which was a little bit strange when you go into the start of the season, especially in the Championship, where you think, you know, everyone's got at least some opportunity of getting in the playoffs. And especially after our last few seasons under Alex as well, you know, top top half, top 10 sometimes, top just outside the top six. Yeah. So I think, I think it's, I think it's just that. I think it probably is this season just to, to try and maintain, um, which isn't great, is it? It's not what every fan wants, but. Doesn't, you know, doesn't give you much reason to get excited, does it? No, or, or to get people to go to games. You know, if that's the obvious mentality that, that everyone can see and everyone talks about, then you know you, you're not going to want to go to to go and watch us, are you? I think it's fair to mention we are in a bit of a period of transition. I mean, obviously, it's not even been a year ago since we lost three of the big five, as I previously mentioned. We've had a lot of players come through the door. Potentially, they haven't impacted the first team as we uh, wanted to in the uh, summer. I think I saw a thing the other day saying we've only had two of the uh, summer signings play more than 320 minutes and they were both here last season. So, But we've had a lot of players come through the door. We've lost a lot of big names. So I think it was always going to be unrealistic to push for the playoffs. But I think we, we all wanted to see a more competitive team this season, see a bit more of a play style, which we haven't had this year. So yeah, I think as a, the answer to the answer to the question, I think we just wanted to stay above that dreaded bottom line, bottom three. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement there, to be fair. I don't think you necessarily like. Yeah, we are in a transition. I think people could accept that if they could see a clear plan in place, which then you then know. Well, maybe not this season or the season after. You know, we can then properly go for it. But it just doesn't look that way. Um, I think as 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 much as anything as well, a, cl- a clear a clear plan on the pitch. You know, a style of play, something to get you excited. You know, like you said, Adam, it doesn't. There's not really much to warrant fans making the trip to Deepdale but you know perhaps an, an attractive brand of football or a clear style of play would do that and I'm not being funny but it's dreadful to watch isn't it at the minute oh we boring oh yeah I mean yeah, yes even yeah I mean we play alright yesterday but uh, I mean if we don't win we are either you can't it's so visibly obvious how ugly of a team we can be at times. Yeah. Um, when you win, you get away with it, and you you know you, you can kind of go off feeling happy. But when you don't, or when that's why probably a lot of the draws have been so bad this season, just because of the way that we played. Like I remember the Stoke game, for example. I was so, so like just not a great style of football that you can subscribe to, is it? At times, especially when it's you start freezing your bollocks off on Deepdale and. Tuesday or Wednesday night, whatever night it was. And you want to see the ball play through the thirds, so don't you? You don't want to just sit there seeing it hoofed up to the striker, hoping it, you know, bounces in the right place. If we get a run on the defender, it, like I say, it's not attractive to watch. And like you saying, you know, you want something to take your mind off of and cold draw, which you don't tend to get at the minute. 
Yeah. Just just another one off the back of that. Do you think yesterday's result changes anything? You know, we've just touched on it there for the last few minutes. I think goals aside, yesterday it was still pretty boring. It was pretty dull. Um, and Martin, the fellow that's asked the question, has said, even my 12-year-old son said to me, all we do is boot it forward. I think, you know, I do think a different manager, someone with a bit more experience, would get more out of the squad. I do, but you still need a reason to sack Frankie. Like I thought last week after the Blackpool game, if you were to pull the trigger, probably would have been the perfect time. And I think I'd be lost to either Coventry or to a Luton yesterday or Saturday as the uh, listeners will be uh, hearing it. I think potentially would have pulled the trigger then as well. But as long as he keeps picking up these results at home, I think it is difficult to sack him because he can't. It's a lot harder to sack a manager off a win than saying you've not won in nine games or whatever but I mean no one's walking out of deep bill yesterday thinking that was a brilliant performance I think a lot of the uh, talk on Twitter was how poor Luton were and I think you know a lot of the games we've won this season is probably due to teams not turning up on the day or having poor half an hour spells as opposed to us really taking someone apart I've not really seen that since the uh, Alex Neal time at the club Yeah there's probably only a couple of times yesterday where we actually play some decent football the, the, the move for the penalty was good um, and then think the, the move just before Reese's header, I think that was pretty good as well. The way we played, um, but apart from that, it just seems to be let's get the ball in behind, let's see if we can get Reese in behind, let's keep turning it. Um, you know, you're not you know, short term. You get away with that type of stuff like at the end of last season. But if you want to progress and move on, you know, you've got to be a little bit more, you know, dynamic and interesting to watch. We've turned into one of them teams that when we play under Alex Neal, you'd think, oh, I don't want to play them. They're a poor team that does hoof it long. Like, that's a Rotherham when they'd come to Deep Bell and they were in this league. You always knew you were going to be in a type of physical game where they're going to try and turn it quickly, hook it in behind. And I remember thinking when we had Alex Neal, you know, I'd hate to watch that type of football week in, week out, but we seem to be doing that at the minute. And I don't think under this manager that's ever going to change. But having said that, we've won yesterday, so I don't think it's... You know, time to fully criticise Frankie because at the end of the day, we've won two out of three league games. Yeah, but for me, nothing changes. Um, you know, my 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 colours are still firmly nailed to the mast, so to speak. Um, but like you say, it's it's I think probably as much at the moment about the right time to make the change. And like you say, two two wins out of three, even if the one is uh, is the Blackpool game isn't the right time yeah so the next the next point that we'll move on to then obviously there was the article that came out in the week uh, on the athletic an interview and, and probably a bit more just a piece about joe savage and, and his time in football and his career in football and obviously touching on his time at north end yeah the piece states the influence of chairman peter ridsdale left savage feeling marginalized and when a sporting director role opened up at hearts last december he jumped at it having started his fa level five technical director's course in 2019 what what do you take from that obviously the the first part of that where it referenced how joe was left feeling marginalized at the club because of peter's influence (laughs) well if you look at Peter Risdale's new role, um, which is essentially head of recruitment, isn't it? Then you you kind of guess that a lot of that was probably already gone going when um, when Joe Savage was here. So if you are a you know if your role is to recruit and recommend players, 
and then you end up feeling marginalised by somebody who then steps into a head of recruitment role, then you know you're not going to someone who their speciality, let's say, isn't that. Then you're going to think, well, I'm going to jump at the opportunity to leave immediately. Can't really blame him, can you? Like Adam just said, you come in to do a specific role. It's what you specialise in, and especially seeing like the type. I mean, recently I mentioned before the likes of Ben Whiteman, Ali McCann, Emil Reese have been good buys, but. You know, we bought in a lot of dross players over the last few windows, and the fact if Peter Ridsdale's having a, uh, you know, a big say in the type of players like likes of Joe Rafferty, Jaden Stockley that we've been bringing in that just haven't impacted the first team in the way we'd have wanted, then you do. You're going to feel marginalised, aren't you? You're going to see that it's going wrong, and the fact if you're not able to step in and perform what you're probably on the payroll to likely do, it's you are going to leave, aren't you? It's just a car crash waiting to happen, really. Yeah, I think obviously what we can't say is. We don't know who who was the reason behind the the poor signings. You know, we, I've spoken to Joe myself and spoken to Peter, and they they both say you know it's a team effort. It's not just any one person, and we have to take them at the word on that because that's what they say. But you know, I think everyone's got their own thoughts on on that, and it it doesn't fill me with confidence that a former employee of the club who has gone on to hearts and is doing so well there, you know, is clearly having an influence over the club. They're heading in the right direction. You know, they're setting lofty targets to not just compete with the old firm, but to, you know, to beat them. And they're currently sitting third in the SPL, you know. I mean, they are six points off Rangers who are top, but only two points off Celtic in second. So, you know, you look at, He's left and gone on to do what he's done. He was at Norwich when they got promoted. How much of an influence he had with his signings there, you know, it's sort of a, up for debate because we don't know that. But doesn't really fill you with confidence when he's coming out and saying that he was left feeling marginalised because of someone who has an awful lot of control at the club at the minute. You know, how they made him feel, you know, it doesn't. At least to me, it doesn't make me feel like. Moving forward, we're, we're maybe best placed. I think he's obviously taken a lot of criticism this season, especially Ridsdale, and obviously I think trying to avoid commenting on that best we can because, like we say, we don't know well, what, what, what I will, on what I will say, speculation. You know, and I, might, I probably will get a bit of stick for this. What I will say, I've spoken to Peter a lot of times, I've met him a lot of times, and personally I have absolutely no issue with him. He's been nothing but nice to me. He's been nothing but polite and... From a personal point of view, I have no reason not to get on with him. Um, but, you know, you hear things, you you see things online, blah, 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 how much of it is true. You know, only a few people will know that. But, you know, I think it would be remiss as a fan not to have some concerns over the people in, pa- in positions of power at your club because at the end of the day, you support your club, you know. We came out last week, we were critical of Frankie, and we said... Number one, ultimately, we support Preston North End Football Club. So that's that's my priority, is is the club. Um, so, yeah, I think just, just I just want to caveat anything and say, you know, personally, no issues with him at all. But, you know, everyone hears whispers and whatnot. How many of them are true? Who knows? Well, I'll just add to that. I mean, I sit here, Peter Ridsdale on the... The Finney, and every time a fan approaches him with a query, he's always happy to talk to him, which is really 
what you like to see from a football club. And he has made these statements in the last 18 months or so with the likes of contracts, the fan zone. So I think he is trying to get that transparency within the club, which is obviously appreciated by myself. I'm sure a lot of supporters feel the same thing, but you know, you do. Like you said, Jake, here whispers of what's going on and it's hard to make a comment when you don't know if they're true or not because we aren't fully aware of what's going on inside the club or not. But I think that'll be a... The speculation will keep on arising really while we're doing so poorly in the league. And I think the only way it goes away is if we start pushing for the top six in the future like we did under Alex Neal, which I don't see happening in the near future, personally. I must admit, I was expecting a, a classic passive-aggressive statement <laughs> after that article came out. Um, <laughs> one, of, one of Peter Isdale's classics to come out. Um, unfortunately, it didn't. <laughs> I dare say you might have learned from the last one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's nothing that a proofread wouldn't solve. Just someone know, yeah. a different pair of eyes reading over it and saying, mm, do you know what? Could be misconstrued that. You, you may be writing it with the best of intentions to be transparent and to try and give a bit of insight into the thinking behind decisions made, etc. But do come across a little patronising or whatever. But, you know... You've got to remember the time when uh, when Joe Savage left, haven't you? Because that was like towards the end of, just before the January transfer window, wasn't it? And it was a window where there was a lot of turnaround. And you do think whether there was quite a lot of tension going up to that Christmas period about signings that were being suggested and and not backed up. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a weird time for the club as a whole, really, back then. I mean, <clears throat> you know, what I will say is that there's there's opportunity to prove that he is the right man for the job. You know, the window's coming up. We're, we're, well, the day this is out, we're in November, so January's just around the corner. There's there's no doubt that there's areas of the squad that need improving. Um, we need, I think for me, most importantly, we, we start to need, we need to start looking, sorry, at improving the depth of the squad and the quality of, of the depth of the squad, because I don't think there's any doubt that the starting eleven is weaker without Ben Davis and Ben Pearson in it. Um, as it stands, you know, Ali McCann, get a run of games. Who knows? Um, but it's a concern outside of the sort of core 13 or 14, maybe 15, that... Where's the quality coming after that? So, you know, the, the windows that are upcoming, that's an opportunity for them, you know, the people in the roles at the club to say, to show that they are, you know, the right people for the job, so to speak. Not that if they're not, anything would change because, well, it could, but, you know, that would take a lot of fan power and a lot of, hate to say the P word, but a lot of protest, I think, um, which is not something that, as it stands, I think is... Anything that we're going to get involved in, we'll leave that to other people and, and other other groups. There's still a lot of talk about what's going to happen with a couple of uh, contract sagas as well. You look at Patrick Bauer's been massive this season. Tom Barkhouse, as we mentioned before, has looked really good last couple of games. Scott Sinclair, there'll be question marks of what's going to happen with him, with him being such a sort of marquee signing from a couple of years ago. So I think all that needs time down, really, before the club will start looking to uh, the January. But then again, they'll need the plans in place. You know, with Patrick... Barkey or Sinclair or Andrew Hughes, who I think has been magnificent, magnificent this season, don't sign on. They'll need plans in place to replace these with hopefully adequate quality. So, you know, it's going to be a big window again, as it has been for the last two. 
Yeah, I think Andrew Hughes for me is early early contender for player of the season. He's just been so consistently good in that sort of left centre back role. Certainly in the top three or four contenders, absolutely, with the likes of Emil and uh, Iverson. Yeah. Well, goalkeepers in other position, you know, what what are we going to do there? Because let's face it, this guy's he's gotta be well, you know, Sam Johnson in there, isn't there? There's a few other good keepers, but he's got to be one of the best goalkeepers in the league. And I think that probably the route we do need to go down is just making ourselves an option for good quality young goalkeepers to come on loan because I think if you end up signing someone permanent at this level, you've kind of got to be a, one of the top teams in order to get the best out of them. And I think it's probably best off for us if we, you know, look at look at Sam Johnson, look at Pickford, look at Iverson. We can become that club where young goalkeepers can come to and get a good chance. It's probably a better option than signing players like, well, Ripley. <laughs> And the likes, you know, and and spending good money on them as well because I think Connor was he wasn't a cheap buy, was he? I don't think. Well, but, probably not for our level now. Doesn't even have to just be goalkeepers, though, does it? I mean, Swansea in general. Look how good they've used the loan market. They brought in Ethan Laird this season. I mean, looking in the past, they brought in players like Connor Gallagher, who've really gone on and impacted the first team. And for club, I mean, obviously there's loan fees and stuff like that. So I'm not sure what they really equate to in terms of our budget but you know if you can look at instead of spending huge large sums of money on players if you can bring in players on loan and give them a platform to really kick on and it helps you climb up the table like Derby did the year they got in the playoff final I think that's an option hopefully we could look to go down yeah definitely and I think you know that's something that a changing manager could bring you know if you bring someone in with the right connections Nicky Butt Maybe. I was just going to say that, yeah. Someone like Nicky Bort, who's, you know, he was involved at United's Academy for years. He'll know loads of people in the game to get con- uh, to get his hands on those kind of players. Um, but, you know, we've got Frankie in charge and that's where we're at at the minute. So, um, yeah, the Bournemouth game on, on Wednesday is probably, for me anyway, probably one of the toughest that I can remember heading into, you know, I don't think any team in the championship ever has had a, as good a start of they've, as they've had. Yeah, well, when you look at the bench, it was Lewis Cook and then Ben Pearson is probably our best player. Lowe, who we tried to sign. You know, they, these are players These are players on their bench. Um, and, yeah, I think Scott Parker's doing a great job there, isn't he? And the only unbeaten team left in the Football League, aren't we? Obviously, excluding the Premier League of Liverpool, so it just shows how well, they've done. I think well, obviously they were disappointed with the going out in the playoffs last season, but they seem to have recruited really well. Obviously, they lost Anjima, but they brought in the likes of Jamal Lowe and they got Solanke scoring the goals for him. They're going to be certainly up there at the end of the season and probably are, as we sit here now, due to the start of Adam, the squad they've got, as you mentioned, Adam, they probably are one of, if not the promotion favourites from the Championship. So, yeah, and it's going to be tough. You just mentioned Scott Parker there, Adam. I think, you know, with his, from his time at Fulham, you'll have learned loads and loads and known that going to a, a club like Bournemouth with the squad that they've got and the and the good quality young players that they've got as well. You know, with these things that he's learnt in his short managerial career to date, just seems like it's it's just paying dividends for them at the minute and obviously not lost a game. Um you know, it's it's some start and that there's been a lot said by the management team about how there's a lot of tough games this season and for want of a better phrase, I think this is 
no doubt a tough game, but I think it's probably going to be the toughest. Yeah, you've just got to hope and pray it's going to be. We put on a performance like we did last season and managed to get managed to get something out of it. Yeah, we've lost hope last two trips. <laughs> last two trips I've had down to Bournemouth. If people are particularly into the previous meetings and stuff, I'm not personally, but it's worth mentioning. You know, we've had two three-two victories. We had the Mackin at hat trick, and obviously Scott Sinclair scoring from you know basically the halfway line last season. So you know we've had trips there in the past that have you know bad fruit so hopefully it'll be another one on Wednesday night I mean you know you look at their last 11 games they've conceded three goals and they've got eight clean sheets so far this season from what 15 games played so over 50% if 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 50% of our goals doesn't turn up as in Emil Reese, then you've got to wonder where the goals are coming from against a, against a team that are defending as well as Bournemouth are yeah, I wonder which player Pearson's going to pick out of our team to say he can have the ball like uh, like Cook last season. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not yeah, we're not saying. Not saying. <laughs> not, saying. <laughs> not saying anything on that. Um, they're very clinical as well. Um, you know, the the taking the chances when they come along. They're another side that play a back four. Um, have mainly played in a four three three, but have mixed it up a few times. I think they've even once played a four four two. Um, but again, another question that came in: Would you keep the same side from Saturday, but change the shape? So maybe match them up with a four-three-three if they're playing that, or a four-two-three-one, or would you just go same as same as Saturday? I mean, if I was a manager, I wouldn't ever be playing this five-three-two. It's really not my cup of tea. But I don't think you know, it's regardless of whatever we say to that. I think knowing Frankie, he's stuck with it more or less all season, apart from changing it. In a couple of games, so I'd be absolutely flabbergasted if we change from a, the five-three-two going to Bournemouth. I think we'll try and soak up the pressure and hopefully try and hit him on the counter attack best we can. Even though it'll be the odds will be stacked against us of getting a result, I'd be stunned if that's not the approach we take into it. Yeah, we'll play a similar way to what we did against Liverpool, I imagine. Um, so yeah, I can't I can't see him changing the formation. That's for certain. No, we touched on that before, didn't we? And said that it doesn't look like we're going to be changing the uh, the shape or the formation anytime soon and you know we have at times hard to break down so I'm not confident but if there was a sliver of hope it's that yeah I haven't won away all season mind have we so it's hardly the game you want to go into away from home, never mind at all very true and just like that we're back down to earth with a bang <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your prediction then for Wednesday uh, I think we'll lose 2-0. Yeah, I think I think we'll lose. It could be any score, couldn't it? <laughs> uh, I, I'm with you, Sam. I thought 2-0 as well. Keep it respectable. I hope we can. Yeah, fingers crossed. Sir. Um, yeah, Forest on Saturday. So the second away trip of the week and the last game before no game for a couple of weeks um, with the international break which is great because it gives me a bit of time off editing the podcast on a Sunday. They've picked up since Steve Cooper's gone in. Uh, you know, the, we're on level points with them and same goal difference. But, you know, given where they were when they sacked Chris Hewitt, and I think they were rock bottom, weren't they? Or had Derby just gone below them after the points deduction, whichever it was, I can't remember. They, they were still in the bottom three. Um, it's... Another tough game, you know. I don't want to sound like I'm uh, 
trying to be part of the uh, coaching setup at North End, but it is. You know, they're a side that have picked up. They've got that new manager bounce. They actually look like they're playing some decent stuff, and and Cooper's got them again playing to a set pattern and in a certain way. And you know, they've got threats all over really. Lewis Grabbin, um, Lyle Taylor got eight goals between them, and they've got uh, Zinkenagel. I think they've got him on loan from Watford, or they've signed him from Watford. Johnson as well, he's a good young player, isn't he? Yeah. He was at Lincoln last oh, yeah. season. Um, they've only lost one since he got in, and that was against Fulham. Which so, is no shame, really, is it? Even though it was a 4-0 battering, but yeah, it's, it's no shame <laughs> losing against them. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a tough game, and it just shows how important a win was yesterday, really, because we're going into a massive week here where you know we could realistically lose both games and then suddenly you know next Sunday's podcast is completely different so yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be a really tough week this week I mean you know if we do lose both games um, we'd then be going into depending on how Cardiff do that game against Cardiff where you know it could be an early a big game early on in the season well, they could have a new manager in place by then as well. So you'd, imag- you'd imagine they would do, wouldn't you? After the coming off a high as well, as well, aren't they? After you know coming from three down to draw away at Stokes. That's imagine it's Alex Neil. So. I know. Imagine. I, I personally <laughs> don't think he'll go there because I think they're in a, quite a bit of trouble financially, aren't they? And he won't want to go from out of the frying pan and into the fire. I think with Brian Barry Murphy, aren't they? I think that was the one that was favourite when I looked at it. That'd be a bold shout. He's just gone in at City's under twenty threes, hasn't he? I know, yeah, I've heard they were trying to take him off. I've seen Wilder link with it, so depends what path they go down, whether it's a young upcoming or championship I, I mean, preven. I, I like I like Brian Barry Murphy. I'm not sure he'd uh, be able to work wonders with that squad at Cardiff. I'm not sure they'd suit his uh, his philosophy, but you know, I think it's as much on the club that if they go for someone like Brian Barry Murphy, then you've got to back him in the transfer market and bring in the, the kind of players that he wants and they're already down there anyway, so they might decide that it's worth a season and a half or two seasons of transition while supporting a manager like that, providing he can keep them in the league. But, you know, that Cardiff game, depending on how we get on over the next couple of weeks, could be massive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like we said, you know, with the Forest game and the Bournemouth game, it's going to be two really difficult games. And you know, I think with the I think the key polar opposites this season was going into the first international break. We went in on the back of beating... Peterborough, Morecambe and Swansea, you know, two in the league and one in the cup, and it give you a real sort of positive atmosphere. But then, you know, going back to the recent international break, we just lost to QPR and haven't won in six or seven going into it. I think we're drawing five or six, obviously lost. So it led to a lot of, you know, toxicity and animosity within the fan base. So I think this these two games, if we can pick up, you know, positive results, whether it be a loss and a draw, I'd probably take realistically without sounding too sort of down in the dumps. I think that would be a fairly decent going into the national break. So I think it will all depend on these results as to what the atmosphere is like going into that Cardiff game. But you know, if you can, you know, pull off the, uh, I won't say impossible, but you can pull off two shock results and go in with a bit of positivity and, you know, play the Cardiff team that haven't won in nine. It's, you know, suddenly you're looking at putting a run together going into the January window, which could be big when you're looking at uh, recruiting players and such. Yeah, boys, I think we can, we can wrap episode 13 of the podcast up there yeah it's been an indifferent week following a poor end to last week for north end fans obviously liverpool game bit of a gimme no one was really that bothered i don't think 
and obviously good to get three points on the board on Saturday. Uh, yeah, thank you for listening as always. And boys, thank you for your time. It's much appreciated. Well, Support from the Finney by going to supporter.acast.com forward slash from the Finney. If you're listening on Apple device, on Apple podcasts, then I'd appreciate if you could leave us a review on there. And yeah, boys, appreciate your time. Thank you. Cheers, thank thanks. you for having us. Cheers. No problem. Anytime. time.